0: Psalms 89, first off, uh, verse 1 through 2. I will sing about the Lord's faithful, faithful love forever. I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. In my mouth, with my mouth. For I will declare faithful love is built up forever, you establish. Your faithfulness in the heavens. I'd like to share a little bit of my testimony with you this morning. Um, I'm on probation right now. And... I was on probation up in Columbia County and a couple weeks ago, I transferred to Clatsup. And I go in there and I, I meet this lady for the first time. And there was, was a check-in and we started talking about everything that I'd been doing, my classes, meetings, and I, I sat there and I, I told this lady that the, the classes and the meetings were great but ultimately, what has changed my life was Jesus. And she kind of looked at me funny. <laughs> and I, uh, we finished up with the meeting, and then she wanted me back in two weeks. So I, I went back this last week and get into her office. And once again, I'm talking about Jesus and how Jesus has changed my life. And she, she looks at me and she goes, I normally don't do this at work, but Jesus has changed her life as well. And this is my, my PO officer. And the Holy Spirit just filled the room. And it was, it was so amazing. She couldn't stop talking about how Jesus had changed her life. It was, I mean, it was, it was beautiful and listening to her and I'm so excited and she's so excited, right? And I'm trying to get my words in and like, but she's, she's speaking and I'm trying to be patient, right? Because that's one thing I've been working on and that experience was just God's timing. His plan is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. How he draws us together with the Holy Spirit and sharing that and sharing that with others, is that's Jesus and Jesus is the hero of my story and my testimony he is he is what has changed my life and i thank him and i wake up every morning honoring him and that is that's the first thing that i think about first thing in the morning is i'm going to honor Jesus today because only he could do what he has done in my life and I just thank him, and I love him. He is the hero of my story. I'd, uh, I'd like to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for another beautiful day. Softening my heart, Father, I have surrendered everything to you. My life is dedicated to waking up every day and honoring you. You have softened my heart. You have opened my eyes to look through different lenses, your lenses. You have opened my ears to hear your word. You have connected my heart my mind and my soul to your spirit and that is just such a beautiful thing father we can do all things through you and you have shown me that putting all of my faith and my trust into you every day it's just it's so beautiful father i just hope And I pray that my testimony, and really it's your testimony of what you have done in my life will draw people closer to you. They will surrender those hearts and reach that right hand to yours and to pull you in closer to them. And we are here to honor you today, but we are here to honor you every day And we just love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: The rain of darkness now has. In the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of light. darkness
2: Christ is my firm foundation, he's the righteous. Darkness goes wrong Your battles, come on declare that this morning. Jehovah needs fights your battles. Jehovah needs fights
3: your battles.
2: Jehovah needs fights your battles. Jehovah needs fights your battles. Jehovah Jireh on your, your, your knee. Jehovah Rapha heals your body Jehovah Shalom be your peace Jehovah Nisi fights your battle. Jehovah Jireh meets your needs Jehovah Rapha heals your body Jehovah Shalom be your peace Your battle. Oh, Jehovah Jireh meets your need. Jehovah Rapha heals your body. Jehovah Shalom be your peace. Jehovah Nisi fights your battles. Jehovah Nisi fights your battles. Oh, oh, oh. Jehovah, Nisi fights your battles. Jehovah Jireh means your knee. Jehovah Rafa heals your body. Jehovah Shalom be your be
4: Now are my favorite part, the part that makes you all uncomfortable. <laughs> Let's talk about offerings. Let me give you a, a, a statement on the wall. Where is my statement on the wall? There it is. Joy Dawson wrote, disobeying him is the same thing as telling him to hold back all of the blessings that come with obedience and brings all the punishment that comes with disobedience. That's not only stupidity, it's insanity. God wants to bless you, but you've got to trust him. God wants to bless you and all he's asking you to do is have faith in him. That's all he's asking you to do. And he, he, will, he will pour out his blessings. That's what he, he promised, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, there may be meat in my house, there may prove me now here with, if, if, the, if I will not pour out um, the, the windows of heaven so much your barn won't be able to receive it. I'm sorry, I'm messing that whole scripture up. <laughs> but God wants to bless you. It would be stupid to not trust God with what's yours. Because what's yours is actually his. So let's trust him today. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, I understand young, new believers, or maybe somebody who doesn't really believe, to not understand this principle. But you promise that if we trust you, that you will get involved in our lives and you will bless us with things that we can't even imagine. You, 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 you can give us more than we can ask or even think. Ephesians tells us. So, Father, as we think about the offering today, I pray that hearts are trusting you today. That we're not trusting in ourselves, we're trusting in you. That that we could receive the blessings, because that's what I want for this church. I want them to receive so many blessings that they don't know what to do with it. But it comes from their obedience to your word. So open their hearts up to that, Father. We love you. In Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please don't be seated yet. We've got one more song to do. Let's pray for a moment let's, while the kids are here. Let's get something in the background playing. Something in the background playing. I'm just joking. Before we get into the word, I want to know if you're ready. Are you ready for what God has to say today? If the spirit of the living God is here, he wants to move in your hearts. He wants to speak to you. He wants to change your life today. So, you're going to have to set aside whatever's pressing on you right now. We all got something. We all got something that's on our mind, on our hearts. Let's just cast it on Him this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. Just in prayer, just cast your cares on Him for He cares for you because God cares about you. So, just give you a couple seconds. Father, I don't believe the people are here just to hear Andy Roberts speak. They're not here to hear the worship set. They're here to worship the one that the set is about. They're here to hear from the one that gave us the word, that spoke the word. And when you spoke it, it created life. Open our hearts up today to you. Be with the kids, Lord God. They are great children. I am so proud of the parents of this church that they would bring their kids to hear the word of God. Be with the teachers. Inspire them. Empower them. Encourage them as they teach children about Jesus Christ. Father, be with those who are assembled together today, Lord God. Maybe there's somebody that does not know Christ yet. That maybe today they'll they'll get an inkling of, the love that he has for them. And they might come to him and just ask for grace and forgiveness so they can feel the love fully that you have for them. Encourage our hearts. Father, I need your help this morning desperately. I'm an imperfect man who serves a perfect God and it really shows just how much I need you. So be with us today. Open our hearts. Speak to us clearly. We love you. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said. And y'all may be seated. Kids you may be dismissed. Thank you. Worship team. We are going to be in. um, Well I was. I didn't know where I was going to go. Until Steph changed my page. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Um, we have been discussing how to best serve you as a church in our services and outside of the services. And one of the things we came to the conclusion of is we need pew Bibles. So we're, we're, we were in a wrestling match with, well, actually others were in a wrestling match with me over what version to use. And so I talked to the elders of the church and I talked to the deacons and, uh, They patiently waited until I got over my issues. Because I want you to know, I want you to be able to read the word of God. I want you to know what God says to you. It's not just hearing from somebody else what God is saying, but you can literally read the word of God and know, thus saith the Lord. That's my King James. That's where my issue is. So we settled on um, the CSB. Um, It seems like... uh, a solid version for you guys to get the Word of God from. So we're going to order some pew Bibles, and we're going to have them there for you. If you don't have a CSB and you might like whatever version you use, that you can still use that, and you're just going to have to figure out what I'm saying when I'm preaching out of the CSB. So we're going to bring it together. But until we get those pew Bibles in place, uh, I'm going to bring back the, uh, the verses on the wall so you guys can have something to, to read by. Um, did we turn the lights down? Can we bring it back up? Because I still want you to be able to read. If you so choose. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 13. By the way, I don't know where I'm going, so we're just going to wing it. You okay? Matthew chapter 13 has a parable. And it's a parable of the sower and the seed. And the sower goes out to sow the seed and he sows on, on certain ground and the birds of the air come and pluck it up. It's a picture of Satan coming and taking the word out of your heart before you can even get to the preaching. And that happens all the time uh, where uh, all, something will happen in the service and I'm trying to preach the word of God to you. And, and Satan's already snatched it out of you. You're not going to listen to a word that I say uh, for any, any reason. So it, it, I'm just going to sow it and you're just going to walk away from it. And then there's another person where the seed is sown, the other part of the ground where the seed is sown, where it, it, it it's, takes a little bit of root, but not enough. And so when it gets hot and it gets, gets um, in need of more water, it doesn't have it, so it just dries up and it dies. And that's some of you who are, are going to have maybe a good church service or you'll hear something that will inspire you, and you'll be like, yes, I love Jesus. And then like 30 seconds later, you're back where you were without it. And there's a third um, well I'm gonna skip over to the fourth one. There's one seed that's sown and it lands in good soil and that soil bears fruit. It's a it's a it's a faith that is benefited from knowing Christ. But I want to talk about the third soil. And I should probably turn there I don't want to turn there because it'll get in the way. But the, the third one is where the seed is sown and it grow, get, gets roots and it, grows, and it grows to a point to where it's fine until busyness of life chokes it out. And it dies. And that's where I see most Christian, Christians are, are today. We're kind of in that third place. And I, I think it's generational. I think it's um, the times we're living in. Where this generation of Christian doesn't have much resilience, because when things get hard, y'all just kind of quit. When things get difficult, you kind of back away. When my dad was uh, growing up, he was raised in the um, in the '30s, where they didn't have enough food. He was working a job and going to school at the same time, high school. He rode a uh, an Indian, not a Harley. He was cooler than me. <laughs> but then he was went through World War II, and he knew what difficult life, difficult times were about. And he was just a resilient man, and he stayed faithful to God until the day that he died. And then came the fifties, where things got a little easier, and the sixties, where things got a little easier, and. The, 70s where things got a little easier and there, there were little difficulties in, in that time but really this generation, this time that we're in, we're going through difficult things. I'm not trying to minimize them. But we're not very resilient when something difficult comes up. And there's lots of reasons why and so I'm trying to figure out how to, how to get resilience into what God's given me to preach to you today. And I believe this. I believe the difference between somebody who's resilient in their faith and somebody who is not is whether they've really heard from God or they've not heard from God. I believe if you've actually heard the voice of God and God has spoke to you about your faith and about your life and you've received that word and you've lived, you start living that word, you're going to find that it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what storms come, no matter what the waves do, no matter what the wind, how hard the winds blow, your faith is built on him. Makes me want to sing My Hope is Built on Nothing Less But Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I can't remember the rest of it. But I spit that one out. See you thought my singing was over, my wife's homesick, and so I'm just singing to you now. So I'm just trying to I, I feel like we are in a season where we need to build up your resilience. So that you don't quit. I'm, I'm worried about the teenagers of this day. Where They're so filled with anxiety and fear that anytime something hard comes up, they just, they quit. And they don't want to quit. They don't mean to quit, but they just don't know what else to do but run. So I don't know if this is a new series. I just know this is what he's saying to me about y'all. And I could be wrong and you could walk out of here and say that message was not for me. See? So I got no intro other than that, and I'm just going to jump into the story. Exodus chapter 3. Let me give you some background. Moses was tending sheep. A monotonous job. He may have felt like he was put out to pasture. I'll make more sense of that in a minute, but he may have felt like he was put out to pasture. Have you ever felt like you've been put out to pasture, like God isn't speaking to you? Like, have you ever felt like you're just out there and God has put you out there and you're on your own and you're alone and you're wondering, where's God? I haven't heard from him. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm doing all sorts of weird things today. The preaching is going to get hot, I guess. You ever feel like God's ghosted you? You know he's there. You know he speaks to you, but you're out in the backside of the desert and you feel alone. Moses once had big dreams. Of delivering his people. But he took those dreams. And put them in his own hands. And he failed at it. And so when he failed at it. He ran, into, ran away from his dreams. Remember when you were young. And had big dreams. Remember when you had big dreams. Now you're out in the back side of the desert. Moses, as we read this story in Exodus chapter 3, he's 80 years old. He's been in the desert for 40 years. Some of you can't even understand how long 40 years is. I'm 60. I was 20. And now I've lived 40 more years. That's a long time. I used to think 60-year-olds were old people. They are. (laughs) Don't let them tell you any different. And 80-year-olds, oh, my goodness. but 40 years he was on the backside of the desert. It's kind of like being raised in Napa. You're just on the backside of the desert and you wonder, where is God? You're in this forgotten place. Shearing sheep, moving sheep, watering sheep, go to sleep, counting sheep. Sheep, 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 sheep. that's my life. It's just sheep. I wake up, I smell sheep. I go to bed, I smell like sheep. Everything smells like sheep. Everything's a sheep. You ever been, been in that place? It's just like you've been in a long time in this one place. Now, one day God invaded Moses' life, and that's just kind of the best word I could use to describe what I think happened. He invaded Moses' life, and he did so in a burning bush. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Let me get dressed. If my glasses are crooked, that's just the way my eyes see. Meanwhile. Christine, where are you? That's where meanwhile came from. Because sometimes you're just in the meanwhile between... God doing something and you being ready to receive it. Are you ready to receive it this morning? Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over And look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? See, I believe there's a point in everyone's life and I don't care who you are or how long you've been in church or out of church or alive that God wants to invade your life. And he simply does something that piques your curiosity. Something happens that makes you go What's going on here? I hear something, I see something, I feel something, and it's different than what, what I've ever felt before. It's a burning bush. For me, it was simply the words on this page, the page of this Bible came alive. It was as if God was saying the words of God to me personally. It was Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And it was like if God said, Andy, I want you to memorize and meditate on this book. And don't do anything that this book doesn't say to do. But do everything this book says to do. And if you do that, you're going to have a successful life. And it was as God was saying that to me personally. That was my burning bush. Now, I know this isn't the only way that God burns bushes. Because if you read your Bibles, you learn several things. Sometimes God burns a bush by looking up at the stars of the sky. He said to Abraham, I'm going ha- to have you make- have children that are as many as the stars of the sky. So God took Abraham outside and he said, look up and look at the stars. So that every day when Moses, or when Abraham woke up and he was questioning whether God had spoke to him, he saw the stars and said, no, God already promised that to me. So God will bring you and point you to the promise. Sometimes it's urging in the hearts that something heavy is happening, as what happened with Noah. God shows up to Noah and says, it's going to rain. Noah says, what's rain? It's never rained before. He obviously did not live in Astoria, Oregon. I don't know about you, but this is March. This is March. This is March. Rain should stop. Come back again some other day. In November. Or I'll take a December rain. Okay, I'm the only one that's tired of the rain. Amen. Amen. He says, what's rain? And he says, don't worry about it. It's going to flood. Noah says, what's a flood? Because he'd never experienced a flood before. So Noah being moved by God that something heavy was happening. He started to obey the word of God and just do what God said because God spoke to him about what was going to happen. Sometimes it's just in the heaviness of what God's saying to you. Sometimes it's in the prayers you pray when you're suffering like the apostle Paul. Paul said, I prayed three times that the Lord might take this physical problem away from me. And then Jesus said, hey, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient. From my, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Then Paul said, I'd rather glory in my pain and my problems and my struggles and my difficulties. So that what happened is Paul saw these negatives, the, the, the physical problems as a positive. Sometimes your trials, sometimes your tribulation are a positive to God. I know you'd rather have somebody else suffer instead of you, but suffering is a part of the Christian life. It's how we glorify God. See, burning bushes happen, but burning bushes intention, the intention of a burning bush is to get your attention. God will speak to you through something with the intention of getting your attention. You'll be just on the backside and you'll think God's not speaking to you. You think nothing's going on. You've been there 40 years, nothing's happening. And all of a sudden a bush catches on fire and you're like, why is that bush burning? But it's not being consumed. I was just reading my Bible. Well, no, let me pull back. When God invaded my life, I was reading my Bible on the floor. I can tell you I was laying kind of at a two o'clock position, end window, sun was coming out. It was, it was a sunny day in Astoria, Oregon. It was 40 years ago. It, the sun came out 40 years ago. Just so you know, just give you, I wanted you to have some hope. It does come out. And then the sliding glass door was right here. The end window was here. Sun was coming through. Sun was coming through. I could feel the warmth. I could feel the heat. It felt so good. I was laying on the floor in my living room, in my family room in my double-wide mobile home. And God spoke to me and said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate during day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. I just smashed the Bible. See, people think that sometimes God shows up in certain places only in a worship service and he does. Sometimes only through a sermon. But, and he does sometimes, but not always. Sometimes he shows up in a tragedy. But the truth is that God usually shows up in the mundane. His voice is often most powerful when life is most peaceful. So if you're in the midst of a storm right now, you're going through something difficult. I'm, gonna say, I'm not saying that God won't speak to you. I'm saying that don't, there's no guarantee. But he tends to show up when things are quiet so we can hear his voice clearly. I was just reading my Bible lying on the family room floor. Nothing special, but I heard his voice. I've had him show up on a Wednesday night prayer meeting that was so boring that I was falling asleep. I was falling asleep because I had worked shift work that, that day and I got, got, went to church And the preacher started to pray. And it was one of those prayers. It was like, oh my goodness, will you shut up? God heard you already. Please stop. And I had my head bowed and my eyes closed. Dumb thing to do when you work shift work. If you work 12 hours a day and you come to church and you fall asleep, You should be coming to church, getting some sleep before you come to church, I guess is what I'm saying. So I was falling asleep. It was so boring. It was just the most boring sermon I've ever heard in my life and the most boring prayer I've ever heard in my life. And I fell asleep and hit my head on the pew that was right in front of me. And I woke up and I started looking around and I thought thought to myself, because we do this when we do stupid things like that. I looked around and thought, did anybody see me? Because it was all about my pride. And that's what God was saying to me. Why are you so prideful? Because all their heads were bowed and their eyes were closed. They just thought the drop, the the thump was something dropped on the floor. Didn't realize it was my head. But God spoke to me about my pride, that I was more worried about what people thought than I was about what God thought. You say, well, that's dumb. Well, it wasn't dumb to me. It spoke loudly to me. I had the bump on my head to prove it. God shows up in the mundane. But what's really important to know about this is the burning bush wasn't the end of the experience, it was the beginning. See, when God speaks to you, it's not the end of the experience. He's bringing you the promise of the promised land, but He's not giving you the promised land until He gives you the promise. Do you follow that? That's a process whereby God works. He shows up not in the promised land, but in the promise of God. The promise of the land. He speaks to you about what he's promised would happen. Now you've got to go on the journey to get to where he's promised. That's where faith begins, is where God speaks to you to say, okay, I believe this, but it doesn't get you to the destination, it just gives you the direction to go. There's a promise. I wrestle with this because I also want, I often want God to give me the promised land the moment he gives me the promise. That's what I want. I, I, I wanted him to make me successful before I did all the things that he said to do in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. I wanted him to get me into the promised land. He says, no, 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 no. You're, you're not going to get to the promised land yet. This is just the promise. Your faith will get you to the promised land. I'm just telling you that I'm going to take you there. It was over 40 years before God's people ever got to the promised land. Could you imagine being 60 and having to think I got to wait 40 years to get the promise that God gave me? I'm going to be 100 before I'm successful. If that's the promise that he gave me, that's the promise that he'll keep. He won't fail. He won't fail. But you've got to have faith when God speaks to you that he'll take you where he's promised you. See, when God shows up in a burning bush, I just want you to understand, it's just the beginning. When God speaks to you about something in the future, he hasn't got you there yet, but he's talking to you about it right now. But I will say, I don't want to minimize this because it's holy ground. When the word of God comes alive to you, when God speaks to you, it's holy ground. Exodus 3, 4, and 5. Oops, I can't see. We're going to try. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, I'm going to skip the sandals. We'll get back to that in a minute, but I want to talk about the holy ground. This is where we fail because we don't recognize holy moments. God showed up in in my living room. There was nothing to indicate it was special other than his voice. No angelic choir. No words written in the sky. Just no great spiritual discourse. Just God saying, this is for you. Just God saying, this is for you. And there God brought Moses a promise. The promise was twofold. I'm gonna free free my people from what's been binding them. And the second promise was, I'll send you to do that. That's what the conversation was. I'm going to free my people. And you're the one that's going to be sent to free them. Now, God may not be speaking to you in such a dramatic way. Maybe not as monumentally. But still, when God speaks, it's always powerful and important. Because he wants you to know something about himself and something about yourself. See, it might just be that God's speaking to you about being a good dad or a good mom. You might not be the deliverer of America. But you might be a person that God is speaking to be a better dad or a better mom. God might be calling you to be a good deacon or a good usher. Might not be any more dramatic than that. You might not free millions of people from bondage. You might just be a a, a guy who stands at the door and opens it and closes it for people. Be the best usher you can be if God's called you to do that. But for some reason, we always think God's calling us to the big things. That's why I'm trying to help you understand. Sometimes it's just the little things. Because he says, Jesus said, if you can't do the little things, I'm not going to give you the bigger things. Oh, I can tell. Okay, you're going to make me get into this. I'm not sure how to warm up on you. See, just know that these important places are are important because they're holy ground. This is God speaking to you. Every time the Jews had this kind of experience, and I just want to share this with you, they would build an altar or a monument to that place. And I made a list of monuments in my life where God has spoke to me, and the list was long. But I have always tried to make sure that I built a monument there. So when I started to stray, when I start to stray, I can always go back to it. I can go back to that moment where I met with God, where God spoke to me. I I drive by like a creepy guy, drive by my old mobile home all the time, and I drive really slow, and I just because God spoke to me there. I always try to have that place. I've got other places in my life. There's a couple that are really important to me. When I start to struggle in my life, I go back to my mother and father's gravestone, headstone, because on their headstone, uh, the statement is. Hands to work, hearts to God. I lost my parents when my dad, I was about 33 when my dad passed. I was about 28 when my mom passed. I haven't had my parents for a long time. And sometimes I just got to go back to that monument where I just need to kind of be resettled and be re-encouraged to know that I had good parents and they raised me up to trust God. That I'm supposed to work hard and have faith in God. I got another monument just over the hill. His name is, is Dale McGuinness's monument. And I go there because he taught me to just stop being a baby and be a man. So every time I start feeling like I'm a wimp and like I'm just kind of whiny, and just kind of snivelly. I just go to Dale McGinnis's headstone and I just pray over it. And he, I can still hear his voice. He says, stop being a baby. We need monuments in our lives those sacred places we get to go back to especially to remember god moments but we don't build monuments today we blow past them and the problem is is when you start to stray you've got no place to go back to to remember what it was like peter denied jesus 3 times jesus was crucified was buried was put in the grave resurrected came and showed himself alive to peter and the other apostles And then there's a story that comes up in in the Gospels where it's always kind of, I struggled with it. And it's Peter going back to fishing. And he goes back to fishing and the other guys say, well, we'll go with you. So he went back to fishing and they're out there fishing and they're not catching any fish because they're not trusting God. For those of you who are fishermen in the building. They're not trusting God. Hang on. Gracious Heavenly Father, I know you're moving in this moment. I can tell the stirring of the hearts. Give me the words to say that need to be said. Keep me from saying the words that don't. trying to hear your voice today let me speak your words jesus we pray amen peter goes back fishing jesus shows up on the shore and says have you caught any fish cast your net on the right side and you'll catch so they cast the net on the right side and they caught fish and they started putting him in the boat but before they put him in the boat peter saw saw jesus and he jumps in the water and swims to shore why did peter go fishing because he failed God and he failed Jesus and wanted to go back to that place where he was first called. He wanted to go back to that place where he was first called, where he first heard the voice of Jesus say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of man. Some of you have places where God has spoke to you and maybe you need to go back to that place because you've wandered away from it. You've lost the voice of God in your head and in your heart. And you need to go back to that place. If you're new to this, there's going to be monuments that you're going to have to mark. There's monuments you're going to have to say, I remember this and I remember that. And I, I love uh, uh, talking to Steph because Steph has all these monuments in his, in his life where he can go back and say, God spoke to me here and God spoke to me here and God spoke to me here. Some of you have been saved a long time and you've forgotten some of your monuments where God spoke to you. Which is why you're struggling and straying. Which is why when things get hard, you start falling away. There's something else we miss. You see the burning bush. You're standing on holy ground. But then God says, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. I've always struggled with the meaning of this. Why take off your sandals? Some say it's to show reverence to God's presence. And that might be true. But taking off off your sandals, I think, is as simple as this. This is holy ground. Sit down and stay for a while. See, we're so busy in our life that when God shows up in a burning bush and it's holy ground, we're in such a hurry that we don't stop and just revel in that moment. God's trying to speak to you. God's trying to help you. God's trying to encourage you, but you just won't stop. When God speaks, it ought to make you stop and stay and not want to leave that place. This is God who's speaking to you. God, the God who spoke and the earth was created and he's trying to speak to you about you and about him. And about life. But you're in such a hurry you don't stop. Mary and Martha was, is that story. Martha's serving. Mary's sitting. Mary's sitting and soaking in. And Martha's getting madder and madder and madder. And Jesus said Mary chose the right way to go. Sit and listen. To the voice of God. We blow right by burning bushes all the time. Hurry is one of the main destroyers of divine moments. We're so concerned about the routine that we're afraid if we stop for a moment, we'll lose momentum. And we just, so we just blow right past God moments. I've noticed that in this generation, we are so fearful that we have to control every aspect of life. Everything has to be scheduled out. You're so fearful of failing that everything's got to be like, you got to know what's going to happen in 20 minutes. That's why you have your phones, because it will tell you what's happening in 20 minutes. My wife and I laugh at this because we're spontaneous people. If you schedule something out for me in June, I'm stressing about June today. And I'm going to dread June because you scheduled something for me. I'm a spontaneous person. If you called me Monday night and said, hey, could you come over Tuesday? I'd be like, if I can do that, I'll do that. And I'm going to be happy to see you. But if you schedule me out months in advance, not going to happen because I'm spontaneous. But some of you, especially this generation, you're so scheduled. Everything has to be scheduled. Even divine moments with God have to be scheduled. Because if Jesus actually showed up at your door and knocked on your door and, and you opened up, you'd be unhappy that he showed up without announcing that he was coming. You'd be mad because you weren't prepared for God to show up because, because you're so busy. As a new believer, I get routine as necessary. You need to have a routine to stay in the faith. But at some point in time, you need to grow up and realize not everything has to be scheduled out. What if Moses saw the burning bush and said to himself, I've got things to do. I don't have time for this. I see a burning bush. It's piquing my interest. I wonder what's going on there. I've been out in the desert. I've been out here for 40 days. I've been by myself. But I'm too busy. I got a sheep to take care of. How many of you, God's tried to speak to you, but you're in such a hurry. You don't have time to stop and and say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Because whatever you have going on in your life is more important because that's what you schedule out. I don't have time for God. Some of you don't have time for God on Sundays. Which is the Lord's day. And you, you, you're, you're more worried about what's going to happen at 2 o'clock this afternoon than you are right now when God's trying to speak to you. I started doing something the most difficult challenge I've ever had in my life. What I've done to grow spiritually over the years is I've, done, I've read through the Bible multiple times. And so how I do that is I do three Old Testament a day and three New Testament a day. I go through the Gospels four times a year, and I go through the New Te- Old Testament once a year. And I started doing that in January. And I got to about the middle of January, and I was so bored with my Bible devotions that I just started reading for sermons instead of Bible devotions. And I tried to figure out, why, why am I so bored? Because God wasn't speaking to me, because I was trying to schedule God's voice. So I started reading the Gospels. It doesn't matter which one. I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want you to find out where I'm at. But I'm reading the the Gospel and I'm reading until I get to a place that it asks me to obey a command. And once I get to a place where I obey a command, then I have to obey that command. So Monday, I got to chapter three of whatever Gospel I'm in. And it gave me a command to obey. And I thought, this is great. I got a command to obey. Because what good does it do for you to read your Bible if you're not going to do what it says? So I stopped and and I saw the command, and it said that for me to obey this command, somebody else has to respond to me first. So all week I've been waiting for somebody to respond to me so I can obey this command. And none of you have. And I'm, part of this thing is I can't go forward until I obey the command. I'm not going to just move on to another command until I obey the one that he presented in front of me. So I've been waiting all week for an opportunity to obey his command, but nothing's happened. Y'all haven't showed up. So I'm stuck. But I've never been more passionate about wanting to be in the word. Like it drives me nuts that I can't read forward until I obey this. And it's driving me mad. I'm just waiting for God to move. I'm praying diligently for God to help me answer this command, obey this command. But too often we're just stuck in routine. So let me end with one more thing. And there's a lot that I'm leaving out of this passage. Because for God to bring you a burning bush and bring you to holy ground and take off your sandals, you're going to have to obey what he says. So turn to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. We'll be done here in just a few hours. Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then Moses said, Then the Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became like a staff in his hand. This was, this was to take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. For a shepherd, a staff is everything. For a shepherd, a staff is everything. He uses it to guide the sheep. It's a weapon to defend the sheep, and it's a walking stick to support himself. Moses was never going to be without his staff. It was his greatest security. It was physically, financially, and because he worked with his father-in-law, familial, important, familially important to him. That staff meant everything to him. It was his greatest security. And his greatest identity, as long as he had that staff in his hand, he was a shepherd and he knew who he was and what he was. Without the staff, Moses was right. He was a nobody. This is why he believed he was the wrong guy for God to call in this moment. And that's Exodus chapter 3. Read the rest of that and you'll find out where he just says, God, I'm the wrong guy. God tries to answer them by saying, It's not who you are, it's who I am. But you've got to let go of who you are before you find out who God really is. It's hard to let go of identity. Some of you have a bad history, and all you do is you think about who you were or what you've done, not who you could be in Christ. You won't let go of that identity. Or maybe you're, you're um, strong in an area and you think, I'm not going to let go of that. I've worked hard to have that strength. See, without the staff, he didn't know what to do. This is why he believed he was the wrong guy. And God tries to answer him again. It's not who you are, it's who I am. When God speaks to you, it's not about who you are, it's about who he is. And when this is our security that he's asking us to give up, we have a lot of trouble with that. Because we work hard in our lives to get to a safe place, don't we? Don't we work hard to get to a place where we have secure relationships? Come on, church. Don't we work hard to be secure in our marriages and in our, with our children and with our parents and with our friends and with our family? We want a secure job. I just want a job that can get me to my retirement so I can retire comfortably and be happy. And I've worked hard at that. I just want a secure future. I just want to know that, that I'm not going to be eating out of garbage cans at some point in time. And I want to secure self. I want to be safe within myself. I want to be confident in me. Then God shows up and says, throw it to the ground. God says, I've, "He says all the things you've worked hard for to be safe and to be secure, the things you identify yourself with, I want you to now take it and throw it to the ground. But it's hard to let it go. It feels like you've worked so hard for nothing and God's just taken it away from you. The fear that Moses had was God was gonna send him back to a place where he had ran from, his, from in his past. And I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to where I don't feel confident about myself. I don't want to go back to where I don't feel safe. I don't want to go back to those places. Because I've worked hard to build a a better life. The truth is Moses didn't really know who he was anyway. And I don't think you know who you are. God does. God knew you in the womb. God knew how important you are. God had plans for you before you were even born. Plans that sin has screwed up. Just like Moses. He was in the backside of the desert because he didn't wait on God to fulfill the plans. He kind of moved ahead of God. As a young man, he thought he was the liver of God's people, but in the backside of the desert, he was a protector of the sheep. He had a safe home far from his past. Isn't that what some of you want? Some of you want to move away from Astoria because you think you're going to be better off living somewhere else so you don't have to live with your past. You got to realize I have pastored in my hometown. I pastor people that I've dealt with for years. They've seen me in my perfections and my imperfections. But, I, but there are times, I'd be honest, I, I would like to live somewhere where nobody knows me, where I can just be me. He had a safe job far from God's destiny. Some of you, that's all you want is you just want a safe job. You want a safe life far from any difficulties. But what if Moses decided to hold on to the staff? What happens if you decide to hold on to your identity in your life? I believe he just would have gone back to shepherding. I don't think God's going to be mad because you don't respond to him the way he wants you to. I don't think God's going to be angry because you don't obey him. Because you don't understand him. It, you got to let go of the staff. I don't think God would have punished him. And I don't think God's going to punish you if you don't listen to his voice. I think you'll punish yourself. But see, if Moses never let go of the staff, he never would have seen the snake, which some of you'd say, that's a good thing. Who's afraid of snakes? And I've lived in Astoria my whole life, and I'm still afraid of snakes, and all we have is garter snakes. And they scare me to death. It's creepy. There's something evil about snakes. But he says, throw down the staff, and it'll become a snake. Do you know what the snake represented? The miracle of God's power to transform something from one thing to another. Do you know that if you don't let go of the staff, you'll never be transformed into what God really intended you to be, a miracle? Who's a miracle? And it represented all the other miracles that God was going to give give Moses. Some of you wonder why you don't ever see God do miracles. It's because you won't drop the staff. You won't trust him with your life. You won't put yourself out there and live by faith. And he's calling you to to do that. He's burning the bush and he's calling out to you. And he says it's holy ground. And he wants you to stay there for a while and take off your shoes and be comfortable. And then he wants you to throw down your staff. But you won't throw down your staff. You're going to hold on to it. Moses never would have seen the miracles that he saw God do. And you'll never see the miracle of God unless you live by faith. Moses would have stayed a shepherd. He would have played it safe. But he never would have had true success. What's true success? 3,500 years later, everybody knows who Moses is. People that don't know God know who Moses is. 500 years from now, nobody will know who Steve Jobs was unless they look it up on the internet. But now everybody knows Steve Jobs. Let's try 3,500 years later. Who's going to remember Steve Jobs? Everybody knows Moses. Well, I'm not saying that's our goal. I think that that's a miracle. See, the snake was the evidence of God's presence. When you surrender your life to God and you give him your trust and he calls you and you surrender your life to him and you just... Drop the staff. You give up your identity. You give up your security. And you say, I'm just going to trust God. That transformation is where people say, you must be following God. Because only people who follow God do stupid things like that. Throw down a staff to get a snake. The story is told of a missionary named A.W. Milne. Who felt called to a tribe of headhunters in the new Hebrides? Hebrids. Every other missionary that went to the tribe was killed and eaten by the, by the cannibals. Not the best place to go. But he felt that God was calling him there. He lived among the tribe for 35 years and never returned home. When he died, they wrote an epitaph on his tombstone, and they said, "When he came here, there was no light." When he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. That's what I want on my headstone. I don't want it just to be that I lived a good life for me. I want it to be that I gave my life for something bigger than me. But that means if God shows up on the backside of the desert called Astoria, or even farther out of the desert, Napa, and he appears in a burning bush and says take off your shoes because it's holy ground. And he tells you to throw down your staff. Will you? See, I'm 60 and I'm thinking I'm thinking retirement's just around the corner. Another 20 years and I'll be able to retire. <laughs> That's all I need. I just need to survive 20 more years. I'll either be dead and gone to heaven. Or I'll finally be able to make it. Will you at your age? I know the younger guys are like, well, y'all go. God's called me. I'll, I'll go to the new Hebrew. Hebrew. I can't even say it. I hope it's God's calling in your life that leads you to that. But I know honestly that I have gotten to a place to where I'm not sure. I've spoke to some of the men in the church about some things I'm wrestling with personally, and I'm wrestling with God about some things, because I know He's calling me to do some stuff, and I'm saying, "I'm 60. Call the 30-year-old that's so stupid he doesn't know any better. <laughs> I mean, you're just excited about Jesus. Praise God, I love that about you'. But I'm like, I don't know, I'm 60, and I'm kind of broken and I'm kind of tired. But will I throw down my staff? So I've got some questions for you and we're gonna go home. Let's bring the worship team up. Is where you're at in life really where you ought to be? Is where you are at in life, is it really where you ought to be? You had dreams that became disasters because of your decisions and you've run to the backside of the desert. Are you where you really ought to be? Have you become so comfortable that maybe you're content without a miracle? Many of you are so comfortable that you don't need a miracle from God, but maybe it's not the miracle for you that you need. It's a miracle for somebody else. You know, your kids need to see God do miraculous things in your life. God, they need to see you throwing down your staff and God turning it into a snake. They need to see your transformation. It might not be about you, it might be about somebody else. What's the staff you're holding on to that you will not let go? What are you holding on to? Like, you say, God, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you this. God, I'll give you this. Because it's easy to give that, but I won't give you that because that's hard. And who would you be if you let the staff drop? Who would you be if you actually trusted God? You you met him on the mountain and it was a burning bush and you said, "God's saying something to me." And he said, "This is holy ground because this is where I'm speaking." and you stayed there for a while and you heard the voice of God clearly give you a promise to believe and then he asked you okay I'm going to give you this I'm going to give you this promise but you've got to drop the staff would you this is crazy I've worked so hard to get my life to this place and now God's asking me to drop the staff no drop the staff So you can see a miracle. Drop the staff so people can see the miracle of God. Drop the staff so you can see God do something amazing in your life. If there's no miracle, it's because you're going back to your old life and you're hanging on to that staff. You came to Jesus just to be saved from your sins, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But there's so much more than just salvation when you follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's so much more life. There's so much more love. There's so much more light. There's so many more things he wants to do in your life. But you've got to drop the stinking staff. He wants to speak to you. It's holy ground. It's God speaking. He wants you to stay there for a while and just soak in his word. But you got to drop the staff to experience what he has for you. If you don't drop the staff, you never get to the promised land. This Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, we're having our first Thursday and I haven't spoke to all the men yet because I keep forgetting to, but I'm asking all the old men. Just just a few of the old men. To share their God calling in their life. Because I want you younger generation to hear what, what God was saying to them on the mountaintop when they saw the burning bush. And I want you to understand what they did when they hit holy ground. when they, When they took off their shoes and they actually soaked in the presence of God. And how hard it was for some of them to throw down their staff, to give up their lives so that you might hear about Jesus Christ and how much he loves you. And how when they dropped that staff, God transformed them and changed their lives into these amazing men and women of God. Because I believe there's a generation that if we don't help you guys see this, you won't have the resilience to step into it. We'll just keep sowing seed and you'll just keep taking it in and you'll just keep burning it up. I want you to meet some men who know what it means to meet God on the mountaintop. Because God wants to speak to you. I believe there isn't anybody in this building that God doesn't want to speak to right now and he wants to pique your interest, and he wants you to turn to him, and he wants you to recognize it's God Almighty who wants to meet you on holy ground and take off your shoes and soak it in. I know it's 11.30, and you're all in a hurry. You got to get to the restaurant. You got to get home. You got to get there. You got to go to Costco because Costco closes at 8.30. Or I'm sorry. What do they close at? Six on Sundays? Five on Sundays? Don't they ever work? I got a meeting to go to after this. I'm excited about the meeting, but it's not more exciting than meeting with God today. Let's stand. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would be honest with me today and say, just just show a raise of hands with heads bowed and eyes closed? God's been speaking to me on the mountain. Come on. God's been speaking to me on the mountain. God's been speaking to me on the mountain. God's been speaking to me on the mountain. Father, be clear when you speak. Not that you wouldn't be, but we need you to be clear for us. You know us. You know what we need to hear. You're calling us to something. It might be just as simple as being a better dad, a better mom. But it might be to go on a mission field, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that might eat me if I'm not careful. But whatever you have for me, encourage them to throw down their staff. It doesn't matter how old they are, Father. It doesn't matter how long they've been in church. It doesn't matter how long they've been a Christian. What matters is they're hearing from you and they're willing to throw down that staff to give up their identity and their security that they might be safe with you and be transformed into something that they've never imagined, a miracle. Father, there's people in this room that need to be transformed into a miracle today. You can put your hands down heads bowed eyes closed just one more time how many to be honest would say and I need I want God to speak to me I want to hear his voice I want to hear his voice I want to hear his voice father they want to hear you speak to them now why don't you come to the altar throw down your staff Come on, come throw down your staff. Come throw down your staff. Just say, here's my life. Here's my identity. Here's my identity. I'm just throwing it down. Here's my security. Everything that makes me feel safe, I'm gonna trust you with because you're speaking to me and you're calling me to something and I'm gonna trust you. So I'm giving up my security. What makes me feel safe, I'm gonna trust in you because you're gonna make me feel safe, God. I don't know what I got to do to help you to understand how much God wants to speak to you and tell you that He loves you. And that the dream that you had is not dead. He can bring it back to life. And the life that maybe you screwed up because you got ahead of God can be restored and renewed and rebuilt so that you can rejoice in what God has done in your life. This is holy ground today. This is not just another church service. I'm not just playing church today. This is not for your entertainment value because I'm not an entertainer. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I want you to hear from God, not me. I don't want you to hear from Pastor Andy Roberts. I want you to hear from God Almighty himself. Take a second and just listen to him. He's crying out, I love you. I love you. I love you. Trust me. Follow me. throw down that staff but I'm comfortable where I'm at is that what life's going to be I was comfortable or that I was changed Jesus Christ has changed so many of you in so many ways and it was a miracle because you were not good people at times but you trusted Christ and you laid down your staff and you gave him your identity and you gave him your security and he saved you from your sins and he's brought you to a place of peace and joy. I've had that miracle in my life, but I'm ready for a new miracle. One last question, that's the last question. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just be, be honest with me today. I want a miracle from God. I need to see God do something miraculous. Heads, come on, raise your hands. I need to see God do something miraculous. I need a miracle. I've done this Christian thing for a while. I've just followed him and I've gone to church and I've read my Bible and I've prayed. But it's been a long time since I've seen God do something miraculous. Throw down that staff. Father, as we are about to sing we just open our hearts up to you do a great work in these people these are good people father they're good people and they're seeking you and they want you and they want to have what you're offering them burn the bush Burn the bush. Put them on holy ground. Move in our hearts. Let's sing.
1: Spirit of The living God, spirit of the living God.
4: every word brings life and joy and peace
1: the spirit of the living god spirit of
4: To speak to you,
3: He is here.
4: Open your heart. Father, we've met with you today. And you should have moved us if we we're open to you moving. I look forward to seeing where you're going to take these people. How you're going to change them. How you're going to heal them. How you're going to help them. How they're going to change the backside of the desert. how they're going to come to the promised land and bring their families with them. Burn the bush, Father. Bring us to holy ground. We're taking off our shoes and we're throwing down our staff. Do what you want with our lives. We belong to you today. We surrender it all. In Jesus' blessed name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated real quick. I've got to do announcements because my wife is homesick. Thursday night, 6 o'clock, first Thursday. It's where the church gathers. We take communion, we eat food. We sing worship songs. We've got some stories we're going to share with some old men. I'll put some old women up there at some point in time. We're going to start with old men. That's all I want to share today. Easter's coming. Start inviting friends. It's at the high school. Get more specific later. But I wonder what God's calling you to do right now. What's the promise that he's giving you that's going to lead to the promised land? First Thursday, please come. Gracious Heavenly Father, be with these people. Make them a miracle. Show the world that you are alive and you are real through our willingness to surrender our lives to you. Father be with those that are online I don't want to forget them sometimes I feel like I forget them and I don't mean to they're a blessing to this church encourage them online but bring them to church someday that way they can be with us they need to see how amazing these people are and we need to see how amazing they are open our hearts today we love you and are so grateful. In Jesus' we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Well,
3: now you may give.